Hi, my name is Alad Gross. Welcome to the Alad Pod, an online, uncensored town hall program designed to bring our government back to you. Every episode is a recording of our live show with special guests and questions asked by audience members like you. Today we speak with Gene Evans, the executive director of the Missouri Republican Party. We talk about organizing, how the party works, some issues with candidates as well. We did lose her for a little bit on the internet. Don't worry, I covered. Give it a listen. So uh, I know folks, I mean, many folks know now because I've already introduced you as it, uh, as the executive director for the Republican Party. But if you could, I mean, just introduce yourself to folks, uh, let them know who you are and and what you do. Right. So Gene Evans, I, uh, former state representative, got involved in politics starting in 2016, which is not that long ago, decided to run for office and... um, won my primary, a four-way primary in St. Louis County, won my general election, um, served two years, which were amazing and incredible. And then when I um, had a tougher election in 2018, won that one. And um, right around that time was right. So Josh Hawley was elected mm-hmm. and um, Eric Schmidt moved to attorney general and um, the governor's office called me and asked me if I would like to interview for a treasurer, which blew me away. So I did that and um, talked with them. They ultimately went with my former colleague, Scott Fitzpatrick, and they told me they had something else in mind for me, but they didn't say what it was. And I actually just forgot about it. And then in January, uh, right after session had started, I got another call met with someone from the governor's office and they talked to me about doing this. And to be honest, I really wasn't interested. Um, um, talk to me about getting more women involved in politics, getting more women to run for office, um, making the tent bigger and in reaching out, you know, in the suburbs to people just to, to grow the party. And that really appealed to me, especially the part about, um, diversifying the party a little bit. So, I said yes, having no idea what I was getting into, and um, that was almost two years ago. It's been really interesting, exciting, scary, a lot of different things um, because it was brand new. And just to give you a brief thing, executive director runs the day-to-day operations, so that's a lot of what I do. And some of that shifts a little bit. Normally, your chairwoman or chairman does a lot of the um, earned media and press in this case, I do all of that. So I'll, people may hear me on the radio sometimes or see me quoted because that's just something that our chairwoman was more comfortable with me handling. So I do do a lot of, of that. But when people ask me, what's the policy of the party, you kind of got to go back to the platform or ask the board because I don't get to decide policy now. It's not like when I was a state rep and I voted on things or proposed bills. Now, um, 
basically I say, I don't get to have an opinion. Of course I have lots of opinions, but, um, and, and, and as I'm here, I'm not speaking on behalf of the party. I'm speaking on behalf of myself, if that makes yeah. sense. Absolutely. No, it's a good, good as, as a lawyer, I'm telling you good disclaimer to have at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess, you know, for folks who, uh, might be a little bit less familiar, I know, um, I know personally I was, um, until I guess about 2016 when I, um, started looking into the party structures a bit more, um, hadn't been, you know, super involved in that way before, but, um, then you kind of, you know, once you see it, it's, it's a very different kind of thing, but, uh, for folks who might not be as knowledgeable about what the party structure looks like, I know you mentioned that there's a chairperson, uh, you're the executive director, but what, what overall does that structure look like for the Republican party in Missouri? So every state senatorial district elects two people, a male and a female, and they become part of the state committee. And then they have an executive board and they have officers. We have four officers and they meet three times a year, um, which is, I think, is similar to what the Democrats do. And in fact, we have reorganization every four years. So they they reelect people, committee people, state committee people. We also have legislative districts. So if there's an opening, as there was in my case when I resigned, that legislative district meets and, and chooses the next candidate. Um, all the way down to, you know, county chairs, and then they have officers and they run their organization. And it, it is pretty complex, but in all in all, like for the Missouri Republican Party, it's a very well-organized institution. That is one of the, the great things about it, to the, to the point where we have phone numbers, emails, and addresses of grassroots people in every single county and can get messaging out or information out to all those folks um, pretty quickly. And then what the party does is supports the state committee and then we support all of our Republican candidates. So this year, for example, you know, just helping them get their signs out, helping them organize volunteers, helping them with data, um, organizing events, which not as much of that I planned and canceled a lot of events this year as I'm sure they have on the other side. I'm doing some more virtual events, but just, um, keeping everybody together and keeping information flowing and then supporting our candidates, which a lot of that is, it's not financial support. It's not like we're giving them um, money. It's helping connect them to resources and helping them organize. So we don't have uh, all these different individual campaigns. We do have individual campaigns, but we can work together with them. So for example, if we have an event, we can have all our statewide candidates there, much like the bad internet today you know those are the most fun days the ones where the internet doesn't work everybody loves those days especially when you're in the middle of a live show in case anybody doesn't know that at this point but it's a lot of fun this isn't even on zoom you know just through the internet (laughs) uh yes so uh i i could pick up a little bit because i do know how the democratic party is doing it as well and hopefully gene will be back by that point uh, but yeah, it is structured. So the parties are structured so that you have um, different representatives in different parts of the state. Uh, and and in the state, we've got the state legislature, so the state House of Representatives. We do have the state Senate as well. And uh, there are less uh, state senators uh, than there are uh, state representatives. So just like Congress and the United States Senate. And uh, it makes it you know, it depends how you divide it up, but you can have districts depending on, uh, you know, depending on what those divisions are, House district versus a senatorial district. And so Gene was referring to the 
senatorial districts there um, and how there's committee folks. So actually, that's a really great way for people to get involved in Missouri if you are interested in getting involved in politics or the political process or having greater representation is you can run to be a committee person. Um, And so there's one male, one female per district, uh, and uh, it's a really good way to get involved. You are really involved in the process of how the party works, and uh, uh, hopefully Gene will be able to tell us more. So let's see. Are you back? I'm back. I don't know well, what happened. That's okay. Well, while you were gone, I did describe the uh, the senatorial districts because that's where you left off. So, you know, I figured right. I'd pick it up, and I made a couple jokes about how uh, <laughs> the Internet's terrible, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's just yeah. kind of – I mean, I know it's – it's sort of interesting, but it's also kind of boring. So, um, but it's important. It's important to what I, what I do. Yeah. And it's nice that we have so many grassroots people that are engaged. Yeah. How do you, so, you know, I, I guess I wonder, uh, you know, I've done a lot of, uh, different kind of organizing around the state and working with folks. What, you know, it, it, you in the executive director position, um, what have you found to be really effective ways of getting people, uh, to be involved, to stay engaged. Because I know, you know, there's a lot of places, um, you know, around the state where you might have, especially if you're talking about politics, like a political party, where maybe one party has more control than another, and it's been that way for a long time in certain parts of the state. It can, I mean, at least I've seen it on the Democratic side, it can be harder to then recruit people to get involved and do these kinds of things or have something that's ongoing for the county to really get people out. Um, I mean, what do you do, I guess, in general? What have been some good tips that you have learned or that you are executing? And and what do you do, especially for those areas where, um, you know, maybe some folks have a little bit less hope that what they're doing is, is, is really doing much of anything? Well, that's a good question. A lot of excitement usually is generated by candidates, either for or against, For example, Mm -hmm. in the St. Louis city where we don't have a majority of voters on the GOP side, we do have an exciting candidate running for circuit attorney. And we have um, the current circuit attorney who has generated a lot of um, negativity, at least maybe not in St. Louis city, but certainly outside of St. Louis city. And I think they're, um, I I don't want to say anything about her personally. I do not know her, but I think the record of convictions in her office has is cause for alarm and that has drawn attention to that race. So that one in particular, you know, that's a candidate driven thing. Um, Trump generates a lot of interest and excitement across the state. So people want to get engaged because of Donald Trump and for other candidates that they believe in. But a lot of times it's really about the candidate and the candidates making a personal mm-hmm. connection more so than the party to be, that's been my experience. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, it's interesting. Cause I mean, you think about, uh, historically in Missouri and I've done, you know, I've, I've looked a lot back and the people who've watched this before, I know I mentioned it a lot, but Jack Danforth, for example, who ran, um, you know, in, in the whole state was, was very democratic and all the statewide offices at the time were, and he was running as a Republican famously said that he ran as a Republican because it was the shortest line to get, <laughs> to get in. Uh, but by I me, mean, he ran and, and, and he was the first one elected statewide in a whole long time. And, you know, I mean, uh, folks voted for Democrats, obviously also voted for him. Uh, and that's how he was able to win. But yeah, it, it is interesting how, um, it's kind of like a double-edged sword, at least from what I've seen. It's it's one, it's like the individual can really draw a lot of folks in, 
But then if it stays with the individual and the individual goes and doesn't make it, maybe loses an election or is just done with term limits or just is finished, um, you know, it, without having the organization behind it for that staying power, uh, you can run into a lot of problems, which I think a lot of states have really seen and, and ours might not be excluded from that. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that's true. But then there's always the next candidate, you know, that yeah. are the next issue. Um, I, I would say we do struggle to get people excited about issues. I mean, I think that's evidenced. Um, but it's also because we, in general, Republicans donate to candidates and not for or against issues. Mm-hmm. And so on the other side, you see a lot more and a lot of money that's been donated to support some of the ballot issues um, that are more on the liberal leaning side over the last few years. That money hasn't even come from Missouri. It's come from out of state. But I think Republicans in general tend to be to identify more with candidates. And maybe I'm wrong. I don't know what it's like for Democrats. I'm just saying for us, it, they definitely get more excited yeah. about candidates. Uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, yeah, the out of state money thing, uh, I think is just an interesting part. And you know, I, I've talked a lot about dark money and and made that a, mm-hmm. a pretty big issue wherever I've gone because uh, I just hate it so much. Uh, but the out of state money, I'm not a very big fan of either. Um, I think you know you see that, and, and now it's like ramping up wherever you go. If you're seeing all these ads, and it, it really, I mean it's there's a lot like everybody from all the parties are taking as much as they can get. Cause I mean, look, you get the money and then you can spend it and you have more TV ads or whatever it might be. Um, do you, you know, I, I wonder, cause I've talked to some, some folks um, who were in house races um, even, I mean, some statewide races too, but uh, you know, on, on both sides, cause right now it's a very much a two party thing here in Missouri. Maybe mm-hmm. some other States are a little bit different, but um, you know, out of state money, dark money, it's really attacked folks, um, regardless of party. Like it might be a little bit more central in some areas because one party might have more power. And so there's more interest there and that, you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of flips depending on where you are. But do you think, I mean, you know, I, realistically, do you think that, that Missouri could be a place where we see some of these ethics reforms, because I think folks have voted a lot on along those lines for, for quite some time when it has been put on the ballot. But I'm just wondering, you know, I, I don't know if you can really stop all this money from coming in, but I mean, things like other states have done where they make sure that all the money that does come in, we see where it's coming from, banning dark money, trying to limit the influence of folks who are out of states because then we can see who they are. Do you think that there could be any bipartisan support around some of those issues? I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm going to quote a Democrat, Patrick Lynn, who said, you know, money's like water. It always finds its way. Mm-hmm. So there, and there's two schools of thought. I think the, one of the problems we have now because of the finance reform that was done is um, we it's not as transparent. Mm-hmm. Right. People didn't like these million dollar checks going to candidates. And, and I understand that. But now their money is going there and it's coming from all these different resources and it's really hard to track down. And you and I are familiar with politics and we have a hard time finding where it's really coming from. So I don't know how the average person, or they get a mailer and it's just paid for somebody they've never heard of. I got a mailer from my state rep yesterday. There's no paid for by, and I'm like, where did this come from? Mm. You know, like we should be able to see that the dark money thing, you know, a nonprofit doesn't reveal its donors. So when you say dark money, 
Um, and it's on both sides because mm-hmm. a lot of nonprofit organizations, whether you're talking about Planned Parenthood or the NRA, do not reveal their donors. Now, NRA is not investing in any races here, to my knowledge, but Planned Parenthood is, and they don't reveal their donors. And there are other dark money groups as well. So I, I think that um, it, most politicians running, especially if they're running anything larger than a state rep race, if they're running for Senate or statewide, they require so much money that they're not going to say no to anything that comes in. And even if it's not coming directly, because now we limit what they can get directly into their account, right? And they can't say what goes into their pack. And then you have these other third parties that have these weird names that also Mm -hmm. run ads and and nobody knows where it comes from. So I I don't know how you stop that. I, you know, when I was a legislator, I did a lot of um, events and classes, seminars with people from all over the country. And in Maine, they had had done this thing where you you took like they had money set aside for you and then you weren't supposed to take donations. And, and I'm not clear on all the details about this, but I was talking to people, I said, how does that work? And they said everybody just cheats. Right. So once again, they tried to limit it and how much money could be spent. And what happened is now Nobody has any idea where the money's coming from because everyone has figured out a way to sort of like cheat on this deal and and it's even worse. So I don't know what the answer is. I I definitely think, you know, it's crazy to see million dollar checks come in or if you wanted to run for state rep, which is a very grassroots type of deal Mm. and your opponent has one donor that's going to write a 50 or a hundred thousand dollar check to you that's going to scare everybody else off. So I didn't like that, but it's this deal with trying to figure out, cause then you'll go to a pack that's supporting a candidate and see it's funded by other packs. And then you don't know where that, I mean, it's, it's really hard to trace where the money comes from. And yeah. as a Republican, sometimes I'd like to know if this Republican is getting money from organizations that aren't necessarily support Republican ideals. And I, I think it's probably the same on the other side mm. and it's, it, it's just tough. And I, you know, I'm a, big fan of transparency. Um, but I also, at the same time, if it's a nonprofit, you know, whether they do have a right to conceal their donors. So it's a catch 22. There's a lot of it. it, It's so easy to say, let's just ban dark money. Uh I I don't know that that benefits or harms either party. I think it's pretty equal. Mm. Um, and I don't know what the result of that would be. And I am always concerned about, uh, unintended consequences. All I can tell you is I don't like not being able to trace the money personally. I want to know where it came from. And (laughs) I I would like to be able to say, I'd like to do it pretty easily. So I could easily show, um, a website or a link that would explain it as opposed to right now, as you know, particularly with certain candidates, it's like a couple of hours of research to figure out who's funding uh, them. And, and I don't think that that is beneficial. That's, and that's me personally. And this is not something that's addressed by the party. I don't think mm. position on any of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, it is a mess. Um, mm. I agree. I think that there are some ways, you know, some of the stuff that I've worked on, um, because, you know, initially I started writing one and yeah, I, I get pretty deep into these things, but you write one, and you're like, Oh, like I, I didn't even think they could funnel money this way. And then you like realize that I never, you know, I like the water comment. I always thought about it as, uh, uh, rats on a ship that's sinking and they're always trying to find their way. That's how I always thought, but I like the water one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, one of the ways, um, that I try to account for the nonprofits, cause I've actually given a lot of presentations on these to libertarian groups, tea party groups at one point too, uh, that were pushing back and, you know, I would argue back at some point, but, um, 
really like saying, you know, if you are a nonprofit, which I know a bit about having started some uh, and then run them, but if you are a nonprofit, then, you know, having basically uh, a fund where if it's for your nonprofit activities, that stuff, keep do whatever you're doing regularly. But the moment that you're trying to influence the political system, it's a different story. I mean, we even see some of the, um, you know, those requirements right now in Missouri law. Um, and, you know, some folks, I guess, would argue that Missouri law covers some of this stuff. Just the enforcement mechanism might not be as good. So, yeah, I I mean, I've got, I've certainly got opinions. Yeah. <laughs> the NFC doesn't really have any teeth. Yeah. I mean, let's, yeah. Um, there's also not a lot of confidence in elected officials and their ability to fairly enforce it. So mm-hmm. I think I've seen legislation um, where they wanted to give them more teeth, but then you come back to that, that it's, it's not really a well-run machine over there. And so um, folks start thinking, well, if we give them all this power, I've seen, I've had my own problems. You know, you call with a question one day and you get one answer and you call a couple of days later and talk to somebody else, you get a different answer. And as long as that continues, it's going to be tough to give them any real enforcement. Mm. So, and I, I don't try to throw them under the bus. They have a tough job. And I think yeah. that the fact that we keep changing the laws, I mean, I got elected four years ago and I'm on like my third or fourth set of campaign finance laws. I mean, it's tough to keep up with. And then you have local ones too. So local elected officials may have other rules that pertain to them different from the legislature. And then at the party, I also have FEC. So I have federal election and state and, um, it's a lot. So, uh, I'm not an expert. It's been a trial by fire when it comes to, um, FEC and MEC stuff, but I'm getting there and it's, it's confusing. Um, and it would be really great if you didn't have to hire legal help just to figure out what you could do appropriately. Mm-hmm. But that's why you know we have great attorneys like you, and that's how you can make you <laughs> desire. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, I try you know every once in a while. Yeah. That's a good training. So, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, hopefully, we'll figure it out. I know that some states, um, Montana, actually, they and they did it on a bipartisan basis. So, because um, you know, it was, it's interesting the the money that was coming there, they were really fighting hard on. Um, was going in primaries because it was a very split legislature. It was going in primaries to try to get, you know, this person in that part, just like you were mentioning, like you'd love to see like, well, is this person getting funding from places that are actually supportive of the party or not? And uh, yeah, I mean, it was somebody trying to basically hijack that system in a bunch of different ways. And that's how they came to do it. So um, who knows? I mean, maybe one day, but uh, hopeful, you know, you stay hopeful. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I, you know, there was something I saw, and actually, you know, on the topic of transparency, um, I thought this was really interesting. And uh, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, one of the bills that you were working on as a state representative was about a transparency division at the attorney general's office. Do you remember mm-hmm. that yeah. proposal? Yeah, that was a bill um, in 27, 2018, I believe. It was in my second year. Yeah, it was myself and David Gregory. And it was to give more transparency. It was also, um, it put a little more teeth in the, uh, in the sunshine laws, which don't have a lot of teeth. Mm-hmm. And, um, at that time there were some things going on with statewide elected officials 
that was a little fishy. And this was Republicans holding other Republicans accountable. Now, it's really tough to get something passed the first year you propose it. Mm-hmm. And, and we weren't able to get that across the line. Um, and th- there were also some concerns about the Sunshine stuff because it would have applied all the way down to the smallest local level and talking to folks who represented those entities, like everything from like sewer districts and small towns being worried sued over sunshine requests, you know, thousands of dollars and they can barely get anybody to run for those offices. So it was some, it, it needed some work, but I was in favor of the idea for the transparency part. And also just to, I mean, people don't comply with sunshine requests and mm-hmm. there really isn't a penalty for that. And so, um, that's, that's concerning to me. I also think, though, some of the sunshine requests get a little ridiculous. I mean, and um, just the amount, it, it almost seems like um, trying to get keep somebody busy doing complying with the sunshine request. or uh, and, and it doesn't fall on that official. It falls on their staff. So, for example, as a legislator, my LA had to handle all that. And sometimes it was just a, a ton of work over something that later the reporter said was, I was just seeing if you were going to comply properly. They weren't even really investigating anything. But those sort of things just seem kind of silly. But I do think that transparency is important. I am disappointed in how some of the national press acts because it's so important that we have the fourth estate. I mean, that's how you keep, that's how you keep honesty. I mean, most officials are more worried about a bad newspaper article than they are a lawsuit. Let's be honest. So, but I I think there's been a deterioration in ethics. Uh, um, I do know a lot of great journalists here in Missouri, um, but I, I see things, I mean, you see these lies that are perpetuated by the media and it's really tough. And most of them are not in favor of Republicans. Let's be honest. They, they aren't. I mean, my Democrat friends recognize that the press is generally on their side. So that part's frustrating as much as I, I mean, we need a free and honest press. Absolutely. And we need transparency. And I'm concerned about the deterioration of that. That's a whole nother podcast though, but yeah. I, I am concerned concerned about the deterioration of ethical journalistic standards across the board. Yeah. yeah. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's frustrating cause you see it. I mean, I think, uh, folks who are, you know, looking at it reasonably, uh, I think, you know, I think we really started seeing this years ago when, uh, there would be these reports that John Stewart on the daily show was the most trusted news person in America. Yeah. And, you know, I was, I always watched the guy and I thought he was great and everything, but you know, you get a little worried and he was too, like he would sound the alarm on that all the time. This is not supposed to happen. And he would go on <laughs> CNN and yell at them. I think it was a, a much younger Tucker Carlson on that crossfire show with the, uh, that was, <laughs> way back. Funny. Yeah. yeah. That was a good time. But I mean, like, look, the guy, I mean, to the point where he got so frustrated, he had to, he had to leave. Um, John did, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, think, I think it's, it's, it's interesting cause you know, um, Twitter I think is, is a place that has really accelerated a lot of, uh, the news media and there's all like this 24 hour coverage all the time. And there's this need to fill it and fill it with something new and that's going to grab people, even if it's not a hundred percent accurate yet. And, uh, you know, it's concerning. I think I think a lot of it, though, is true, too, that uh, you get to the point where if, you know, like you said, there's a lot of distrust um, in, in government right now, in public institutions all across the board. And so, for, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just it's worrisome because, like, if you don't have somebody there and almost I mean, it almost requires somebody to make a very big sacrifice and saying, look, you're just going to know everything. Um, you know, and given what was happening, 
uh, these last few days with the president and with mm-hmm. the uh, uh, coronavirus. Um, and thankfully, we got some good news this morning if folks haven't been uh, listening. But uh, it sounded like from his doctor that he's uh, doing well. And that was a very worrisome period there when he was going mm-hmm. to the hospital with any president. But it's interesting because I was looking back at, at presidents who had been uh, had had medical issues before and, you know, how secretive it was to the point where back, they, I mean, they wouldn't even take him to the hospital. They would take him to somebody's boat and try to do some surgery. Right. right. Uh, it's just crazy. But Eisenhower, President Eisenhower, who went in, he had this heart attack, and initially they weren't really talking about it. But when he was in between, when he was waking up and before he fell back asleep, he was under sedation, he, uh, he, told, he told his press secretary to tell the news, the media, everything. And so he'd been passed out, and the press secretary comes out, and he tells him everything, including that his bowel movements were regular. And, you know, just, I mean, it almost gets to the point where it's like, maybe we need, I mean, we just need so much. Right now, there's like this hunger for all this information, mm-hmm. this fight to get as soon as possible. Maybe we just need somebody to start talking about something that's as, you know, as as regular as that, I suppose. As regular. I don't know. Great point there. I got that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but um, well, you know, um, Roosevelt hid his, you know, widow yeah. and uh, JFK very secretive about his, his issues. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, maybe it was easier to keep that stuff secret back then. It's right. not anymore. It's hard to keep anything a secret. And um, you know, again, in, in the interest of transparency, but it's also concerning with the lack of trust in institutions, and that you can't believe anybody. And people tend to seek out information that repeats their own narrative. You know, they want to, they want to, you know. So if you're pretty liberal, you want to watch uh, news that reflects that. And if you're pretty conservative, you want to watch news that reflects that. And I constantly get requests from people saying, "Where can I just get straight news?" Yeah, and it's tough. And if you're for one, you got to know the difference between opinion and news, right? So if you're watching Fox News with Brett Baer at five o'clock, you're going to see pretty straight news. Um, and they're going to cover a lot of things that you may not see on a, a, a CNN. Uh, if you're watching Chris Cuomo or Don Lemon in the night, in the evening, you got to know that that's their more opinion and um, expect that, that there's going to be opinion on there. But I also think, you know, People, because there's so much information, you have to look at more information. And you, you know, you want to get something confirmed by three or four sources that are not just repeating each other. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of work for people, and and it's tiring. People get tired of having to look, do all that work just to find out the truth about what's going on. But you really have to vet all your sources. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely right. Yeah. Media literacy. Uh, I have a friend who does that for a living and teaches it. Uh, it's so important now. And uh, there was a bill about that. Um, Jim oh, yeah. Murphy representative wanted to, yeah, that, that, that should be taught in schools like, um, media literacy, which is not a bad idea. Mm-hmm. I really think, I mean, you know, I've been on a, on a few boards with, uh, some different folks primarily in St. Louis area, but that also have reached around the state and, you know, civic education. I think we really, it's like, we are, well beyond time to really reimagine what that looks like and to think about all these different pieces given all the technology. I mean, heck, I've got this computer here that's streaming this thing, but also another one here telling me what's going on and how people are responding. But there's all these different inputs, right? All these different stimuli and our kids are growing up with it right now. Um, it would be really great, one, to you know have, have this, this education that looks at what we're doing now versus what we were doing, you know, maybe 20, 30 years ago. Um, it really helps 
that make it more realistic for the kids who are living it. Um, and I think, you know, we do, we do an okay job with civic education in Missouri, but having, you know, traveled around the state a bit and actually taught in some classes, um, I think we, we could probably do a lot better of a job. And I think it's an interesting topic, especially when you give kids that experience, you know, going to the Capitol and then you build on that. Um, and they get to see their people up close in person, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, have contact with, oh, their state representative. I didn't even know what that was. Um, right. You know, it's just such it's just such a great way to capture folks because it is such an active thing. Um, and it is such an important thing, as obviously both of us know, because we're involved in it. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I think that there's really a great way to get creative and to make that even more engaging for uh, children now in schools. But I mean, even us uh, we we need to be educated on what the heck is going on too so um yeah i totally agree well i thought the transparency division bill uh was very very cool uh, having worked at the attorney general's office and it, it included things about you know when you're going after folks for sunshine law violations that you cannot be defending the state too because the attorney general does that you know I, I wonder and something you know when i was running for attorney general looking at policy and all this other stuff um, one of the things that kept coming up, because uh, I having worked there too and seen the work that we do, and it's very important for the state. Um, you know, one of the things that kept coming up in my head was almost like we need it would be it would it could help to have this other position that takes some of those responsibilities away, almost like a statewide ombudsman that is the one that holds you know a lot of the government accountable. So with the Sunshine Law, and then you don't have so many of these. Um, conflicts really with your job representing the state or whatever it might be. Um, I don't know. Have you ever heard of any proposals like that for Missouri or any conversations like that of having something that's even independent uh, from that? I know it's another position and some folks don't want more bureaucracy, but just thinking about dividing that up from that, from that standpoint, I don't know. It could make sense. More bureaucracy always sounds like bad, like a bad idea to me. I'll be honest, you know, and it's so hard you know, when people say nonpartisan, I just don't think there is any such thing anymore. And um, this supposed nonpartisan demographer that that's going tricks, which I thought we might end up talking about that. I mean, that was part of the clean Missouri um, to have a nonpartisan demographer. And um, they only had a few applicants and not one of them is qualified. And there's nothing in the bill that passed that has um, relief for that. So the, the, the auditor has to pick one of these people who applied, even though none of them is qualified for the job. Mm. And that's what we put into statute. So now that's the situation we're in. We're going to have an unqualified, supposedly nonpartisan demographer. Um, I, I just don't know how you rectify that. I mean, if, if the bill had been, um, if the proposal had been written differently, then there should have been a way to address that. If we don't have anyone qualified, we reopen the posting or we really relook at this, but that is not the case. So now we have, and she's in a, honestly, the auditor is in a tough spot because now she's got to pick somebody who is not really up to the job. No offense to the people that applied, but they didn't meet the minimum criteria, uh, but there weren't any other applicants. So, so that's a situation that we find ourselves in. And, um, and again, I don't know how nonpartisan you can you can be, everyone has viewpoints and opinions. They just do. Having said that, a lot of people who work in state government, even at these agencies, including the auditor's office, um, and a lot of times have been there through many administrations. 
uh, the treasurer's office, you know, a lot of these, these offices and a lot of those institutions and those folks have their own private opinions, but they're not partisan appointments. Um, and they stay on through different leaders and different, um, uh, partisan leadership. So, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it, it's interesting because it's like, it, it doesn't work. It could, but I think the more high prof- profile the job is, the more difficult it is for someone to be nonpartisan. It's just a tough, it's a tough, now bipartisan, I think you can do when you have people coming together. And we see a lot of that, particularly in the, in the Missouri Senate, where you have a lot of bipartisanship to get things done. And most Democrat senators do get a bill passed, unlike most Democrat House members, because they work together on things. So it's a different body than the than the House, but you can work together on things and push back and come to an agreement. Because at the end of the day, and, and if you've ever served in the Missouri legislature, you know this, most of us want the same thing. We just disagree on how to get there, right? Most of us want safe streets, most of us want, you know, healthy kids, good schools, you know, families to have plenty of food and good job opportunities. The disagreements are not on the, those things. The disagreements are how do we get there? What is the best approach to make sure that we have safe neighborhoods, good schools, and job opportunities for all? That's where the disagreements come in on, is on how do you get there? What's what's the government's role in, in that? Is it creating those things or is it providing, making a helping to create an environment where those things occur and naturally happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, I think, you know, I mean, <laughs> I've, sp- I've, I had a lot of folks from all sides who were working, uh, even on, on a campaign and I was a partisan candidate, uh, at least <laughs> under the, the, the ballot that I was running under, right. uh, you know, I didn't think it should be, but yeah, I, I, I agree. I think, I think it's, it's wrong for us, uh, to ignore the fact that we all have a bias, right? Like it's it's there somewhere. Mm-hmm. We have to figure out where it is. Um, but if you just pretend like you don't, and you think that you are somehow better than everybody else in eliminating that, uh, that's a problem. And uh, that's where you start to get into trouble. And I think historically that's the case too. Well, I think it's also, you know, I think most people, and I guess maybe this is, you know, being in a, a swing district, mm-hmm. um, you know, most people don't check every box for Republican or every box for Democrat. They have, you know, and as a candidate, you want, you you know, we want candidates to believe in at least 80% of our platform, right? Like there's, there's some forgiveness there. We'd like to get to hundred percent, but that's tough. There's, there's some disagreement on things. Um, so as an elected official, you, you really want to be supportive of whatever your party's platform is for the most part. But when you're out there talking to people, they'll say, well, I really like this about, Republicans are like this about Democrats and they think of themselves as independents, even though they may tend to vote always with one side or the other based on the things that they prioritize. Right. right? You know, um, and in some of the most controversial issues, people are like, ask, right. You know, I mean, people are not necessarily black and white, like the parties are the way that we portray ourselves. People are complicated you know, and someone who, you know, like I've been in politics for four years, but I've had friends going back 10, 20, 30, you know, for, for my lifetime who know me outside of politics. And we don't even talk about politics. And some of them are about socialists. And, um, at the same time on so many things and they're still my friends, it doesn't matter. Right. And I think our, our political environment has gotten so polarized and it's so like, if you voted for Trump or if you're a Republican, you're a terrible person. Or if you're a Democrat, you're a socialist and you hate cops. Like 
those are extreme statements and, um, they don't apply to most people, right? Like they do apply to a few. And so we lump everybody in and then we just continue to have more divisiveness and that's not going to get us where we want to be as a country, you know, or as a state, like we have to work together. And I think one of the things we've seen, um, and not to get too political here, but with Parson is really someone who works with both sides very well. And it's why even, uh, I mean, his favorability in Missouri is just off the charts and, um, people don't have negative feelings towards him in general. They may not like how he handled something here or there, but in general, he seems like a pretty good guy. Mm. Not, he, he's not a divisive person. And he has come to metro areas and worked with Sam Page, Lyda Cruz, and, um, and in Kansas City, Lucas, and right. sat down with these folks and talked about what's going on. And you know, some of the things that were sort of controversial that he proposed in the special session came from those meetings. They were things that Democrat leaders asked him to do for the state. And then they became these controversial divisive things, but it was him working with folks from across the aisle to try to find real solutions. And that's one of the reasons I think he's, he's been successful and continues to to remain very popular in our state. I mean, he's just not, he's a likable person and he does try to work with all sides of every person, anybody who's interested in making the state better, governor Parson, is more than willing to listen to you. Yeah. Yeah. I think the outreach is, uh, good. And I was, I was pretty impressed with it. You know, I'm not, I'm fine with saying that. Um, you know, I, I think that was great. And, you know, around the state, I think, I, I honestly, I think that we've got, um, you know, I mean, if you look at Nicole too, she was also running for governor, I think in the auditor's job, um, some of the things that she's done have been really awesome. Um, you know, I, I was in Clay County and some folks were, were mentioning her and being involved and how they were looking for folks. And I think, I think it really matters, you know, when I saw Governor Parson doing that um, and reaching out to folks who I knew who were in the room with him, uh, younger people, I thought that, that was great. And, you know, I, mm-hmm. I really, uh, hearing those stories, you know, cause you can get so caught into like the partisan side of things and saying, oh, they're my enemy. I'm running on a different party or whatever it might be. Right. But I think, you know, I found that those stories were were really the most uplifting ones because those are people actually doing the work and making big impacts in, in people's lives. And so, you know, I really wish uh, that we saw a lot more of that. Now, I know I know like the negative stuff is what really sticks in people's mind. There's a whole psychology around it. So that's what we see. Right. But, you know, I, I wonder for, uh, you know, I mean, in your role, and I think we got uh, a question that's a little bit longer than that, but on this, uh, on this same issue, there's a few folks who, who have been mentioning it, but, you know, I wonder, you know, on your role, uh, in executive director for a party, and this would also apply to, I mean, any other party too, but, uh, or, or folks who are really, um, I think mo- mostly like spokespeople or the candidates themselves, but folks who have a voice, uh, and are representing, you know, maybe a party or, or themselves in this political process. But what do you think that we can all do, uh, folks who have that voice to, reduce that partisanship because it seems like, um, you know, folks in our position benefit oftentimes from stoking those flames. Uh, maybe they get caught, you know, up in it, wherever it might be on, you know, on really quick things we have to write or say, or tell somebody else. But you know, I wonder like how, how do we reduce the polarization actually get folks 
on that tone with that attitude of working together uh, in Missouri and really applicable throughout the country? Well, I think that you got to remember something. So I'm an athlete and I think like an athlete. And so it's game on right now. We got them coming up and um, yeah. I'm on my team and I want to win. And I'm going to do my best to win. And if that means, um, you know, there's inflammatory comments. I mean, people see my name as the, you know, the quote that, um, that, but once the game is over, no matter who wins or loses, we have to work together. We shake hands. Like normally I'd shake hands, cup beer, right? That's what we need to do. Once the election is over, we say, um, okay, you won. We lost. How do we work together? And, um, I think sometimes, you know, the losers are more eager to say that because mm-hmm. they won't, they still want to be involved, but that didn't, that wasn't the case with Trump. I mean, it seemed like the, on the losing side and, and you could go back to Obama and say the same thing about, I mean, you could go both ways of that. Sure. Uh, and I don't control, you know, what leaders say, but I, after the election, regardless of who wins, you have to say, okay, this is, this is what the people have voted this is the leadership they elected. How do we make our our community, our state, our country better and stop fighting? Um, I don't think you're going to get bipartisanship working together between now and the election because it's we're you know it's a competition. But once the competition ends and the winner is decided, then you shake hands and you move on. Mm. And we haven't had that, and we've had too much of. You know, fighting, and I'm thinking more on the national level. Here on the state, I don't, I don't think that's the case. I mean, honestly, mm-hmm. you know, Greitens won. You didn't see this of trying to delegitimize his governorship, um, although he did end up resigning. You know, and you, yeah. So uh, it's, you didn't see a lot of that. But I, I think at the national level, we need our leaders to um, continue to try to work together and 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 say, okay, this is what was decided. The people have spoken. Let's move on and try to find it. And I think when you're in a party situation, mm. you say, all right, what was it that appealed to them about this or didn't appeal to them about this other thing? And really look at it and take a, take a hard look at what the voters are telling you and, um, and try to look at it with cl- a clear lens and, you know, try to learn something. It's like, if I lose a game, I'm going to look back and say, what could we have done better? Where did we mess up? How are we not prepared? You know, and there are, are there outside forces? There always are. That doesn't mean you don't look at what yourself is doing and how do you make yourself better? So instead of, you know, after that contest is decided, instead of still attacking the other side, you got to look internally and say, what do we need to do better to be more appealing to voters because they didn't vote for us, mm-hmm. whether it was in an area uh, of the state or statewide or in the country, I, I think that's part of it. Stop looking, blaming everything on the other side and look at yourself and say, what did the voters not like about what we were presenting? And then go from there. Yeah. Yeah. Some, an introspective moment. It's interesting. Cause I mean, you mentioned the sports thing. Uh, and you know, I played football for, for uh, not very well, but for a while. <laughs> and, uh, uh, it was one, it was funny cause I was in Kansas city um, doing some door dropping at the time and uh my old football coach who i was i was in st louis but he uh was here and had moved over there and he's uh still coaching but he all of a sudden he yells my football nickname from a half i don't know long way away and i see him and hanging out and i told him like look the the one of the 
uh, greatest lessons I've learned was through football because when you do days like this and it's hot outside and you have to get all these doors, just keep going and your brain kind of shuts off and you're just going. So that's that's the sports takeaway I had from it. But <laughs> well, sports is a great is it a great really turn is. for office because yeah. you have to train every day to prepare. And you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And, and you don't like all these little bitty things that you do um, every day on a daily basis when you're on a campaign are leading you to what you hope is a victory, but you don't know. But you've got to do it anyway. And um, a lot, a lot of hard work not knowing the outcome. And right. the, the difference is with politics is you really only have one game. Whereas, you know, when you're playing in a season and you have a series of games before you get to a championship, you have opportunities to learn along the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think, you know, and, and it, it's frustrating for me sometimes because I feel like, you know, we all have it. We have our job to do, and this is my job. And I'm very, I take my job very seriously, but I also, you know, I'm a human being. Mm-hmm. Right? And so sometimes when people get real personal and their attacks doing my job, I, I, it just, it's sort of like you die. And I just have to remember like, they don't get it right. They don't, they don't understand that, but that doesn't mean like, um, particularly if it, you know, I thank goodness, like my family's not on Twitter because they would be like devastated. Um, Think, yeah, but like, you know, try to g- give your elected officials a break because they're human beings too. And I hate when they start attacking their families. I don't care Republican or Democrat, just leave the families alone and respect that elected officials are human beings. And if an elected official or any human being, for example, gets ill or has COVID, remember that they're a human being dealing with a serious illness um, before you start attacking them or going after them personally, maybe you can take a break for a day or two. Um, and, and that goes, that goes for both sides. I mean, it's easy to jump on that bandwagon right now in light of the recent news, but it goes for both sides and you should never wish ill on someone because of their political views. Um, if Nancy Pelosi, whom I obviously disagree with strongly found herself with COVID, um, I would not wish her ill. I just, I just, I don't, I, I, and if you do, if you feel that way, just be quiet about it. Like, you know, like nobody wants to hear that. That just adds to the negativity. So I think the personal stuff should stay out of it. Um, and stick to the issues. That That's the other thing. Um, try to stick to the issues in ways that you disagree with people instead of name calling and, and getting real personal. I think that that's, um, it's unnecessary. And it also, I think it, when you're an attorney, so you get to argue a lot, I think it weakens your argument. So if you immediately start someone for their appearance or, um, and that happens a lot, particularly to women or something else personal, it, it just weakens your argument Mm -hmm. and stick to the facts and your argument. Even if people don't agree with you, at least they can say, all right, that's your argument. I disagree. Here are my facts. But if you say, well, um, he's overweight or she's ugly or whatever it is, it really weakens you, your, or she's a, you know, whatever. Calling them names. I can't, I don't know all the names I'm thinking of. I can't say, you know what I'm saying? I mean, if you run out, that's good. That means hopefully you don't use them too much, but (laughs) no, I totally agree. I I think, I think part of it, and I'm in that camp and I know that there are uh, folks who aren't, and we're seeing that a lot now with the election cycle, you know, just things are so available. So maybe we're seeing it a lot more and it's a lot easier to make. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm firmly in that camp because I think that when you are speaking, you're also 
reflecting yourself. It's not just like the content that you're throwing out there. And yes, it's really easy to just like throw a tweet out there within 10 seconds of reading something or whatever it might be, uh, or, you know, getting on Facebook or all of these different things. It's so easy to do, but yeah, I was, you know, from, from a lawyer perspective, you know, I had really good advice early on and, uh, you know, you just go and argue anything just to win the point. And I had a, uh, a teacher, who said, why were you arguing that? And I said, well, because I wanted to win. And he said, but you, you didn't believe it. And I said, yeah, so. And he's like, well, we can all tell. Like all of us can tell. And, and that's like you have to think also as a communicator, like if you aren't bought in, if you don't believe in what you're saying and you're just kind of throwing it out there just to throw it out there, uh, your communication is just going to be less effective. And I think, mm. you know, I, I think just because things are so accelerated, it has – created this this kind of false need to like be there and be there first on some like this platform that almost nobody uses really most people aren't doing this stuff and uh you know just such a it's a weird urge and i think that we're kind of figuring it out right now all together because it is a newer thing and and you know people we we go society goes through these kinds of changes and adaptations over time but uh, well, and you've probably experienced this too, the folks that have like an anonymous account and they start oh, attacking yeah. you and you're like, oh, yeah. you don't even say your name on here and you're going to like criticize yeah. me. Like, at least I have the guts to put my name and my face on, uh, on here and probably a website, you know, right. yeah. so those are the ones that I'm just like, are you kidding me? And, and, and as an elected official, like you can't block anybody, but if somebody is anonymously hitting me, I don't have any problem blocking them now. I'm like, if you're, if you don't even have the guts to tell me who you are. I don't have to listen to you. Right. Like just, I just turn it off. Um, and yeah, uh, let them do whatever they want. but like, you know, like, come on. Um, but, and, and it's, you know, and like for me, like Facebook, I've had Facebook for years and years before I was yeah. political. I have family and friends on there that don't, don't know, don't care about my political beliefs and don't mm-hmm. really want to hear about them. You know, they want to know like what's going on with my family. Yeah. That kind of right. stuff. Try to stick to that. I yeah. used to have a political Facebook for, as a candidate mm-hmm. where I kept that, you know, that was political. Um, but yeah, and you see people complain, you know, you see people complaining about politics on Facebook or next door. That's the new one. Everyone's using next for politics. And, um, it's just, and I think I have a theory on this too. I mean, it was already a very polarized situation, but with COVID nobody had anything to do. Right. So like, there's no sports on there's right. no, so everybody's watching the news and everybody's right. like, people know more who, who these different politicians are and what's going on than they ever have. They really had nothing else to do but to watch the news, right? If you wanted live TV, I mean, they weren't even doing like Saturday Night Live and a lot of show stopped taping. So you, you're, you're just watching tons of news. You want to know what's going on with COVID. And then you're just seeing this constant news cycle, which can be like, I'm telling you, like, it's depressing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, sometimes you just got to walk away from the news, particularly if it's not your job. Like, you and I, like, I have to know what's going on. Yeah. But I mean, I think for people, like, sometimes you just need to, to, and I talk to somebody, they say, well, I don't really watch news or follow politics. And I think, wow, what a blessing. <laughs> like, I mean, like, that sounds great. That's you know, nice. and they're like, you know, I look down on them and I'm like, no, can I be you for 15 minutes? Because <laughs> it's be a lot, you know, yeah. and it's a lot of information and a lot of it's nasty. Right. And it's like, so you just need to take a deep breath and say like, okay, how is this really impacting my life? You know, like, right maybe I go spend 15 minutes with a family member or or even my pets just to get away from this. Yeah. Yeah. Pets are very important. I think so. Yeah. My groomer, I would, I would bring him on so you could meet him, but he is uh, getting cleaned up today. 
Ah, okay. Well, we'll have to do another one then. We'll bring, yeah. we'll bring them on. That's fine. Furry Friend Friday, I think, should still come up in a certain <laughs> way. We used to do that every Friday. So um, I do have a couple couple more uh, that I got to get to uh, okay. questions here. Um, so one, and you kind of, we kind of talked a lot, a little bit about uh, Eric Greitens came up, and this was a question that came in too. Um, and there's a, a House candidate as well. Um, and there's some, you know, some store I don't really know too much about, but on the Kansas City, Kansas City side, closer there on the western side of the state, um, you know, some stories about uh, candidate uh, with inappropriate behavior. And if, if what is written is true, I mean, criminal behavior at that point. But, uh, you know, from from the the and I think we saw it on the Kansas side, too, with this uh, a young man who's running for house there. Uh, and that was just news. I think this morning, another allegation against him that he is readily admitting. Right. Um, so I, what, what, what does the party do? What power do, do you have any, uh, if, if there's somebody who is running, who, uh, maybe these kinds of allegations that certainly would be disqualifying from like, hopefully voters would say no, if they were just, you know, had this person in front of them, but is there anything that the party itself does like investigative in situations like this? Um, or, no, or we is don't it more like, I mean, if you file, you file, like we can't do anything about it. Yeah. So we, we don't turn people away from filing. Um, we did have a candidate who filed, um, for house on the Republican side, um, who is openly racist. Mm. And, um, I mean, he's not saying it, he's not denying it. He's openly racist. And, um, we became aware of that after we'd already accepted his filing fee. So we donated an equal amount to an, um, like an anti-defamation organization, it's like 50 bucks. But like the point was, I mean, I'm not going to give him his money back. <laughs> like, I'm just right. like, I'm also that, and then we released a statement that we're not going to support him. So one of the things we do, like we, we allow our candidates access to data center. We don't charge them for that. So he does not have access to that. We don't have any support for him. We don't distribute his signs. We don't, we don't have anything to do with him. Um, there's another candidate now. There were recent allegations in the Kansas city star on the Missouri side. And the story was written up as an editorial and this just, the allegations are very disturbing. Mm -hmm. If they're true, he's certainly disqualified from holding office and probably should be in jail. I don't know that they're true. Uh, I saw a report based on the very little amount of investigation I could do on my own that exonerated him from those charges. But um, I think when you're talking about child abuse, it's really difficult to go back and investigate something that happened years ago. I definitely think victims should be heard and be, should be supported um, if, if there's any truth to this at all, then he should step aside. But I think that with the election looming, um, the, the voters have the right now. They have this information. They can judge for themselves. Again, I, it was a weird thing because there wasn't even an author on this one news story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't seen any other news on it. I know that there's some other um, organizations investigating um, journalism style because they've contacted me. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what they found. All we found was this quote unquote saying he was, they didn't find any evidence of it. And so with that, it's tough because obviously it, it, well, it sounds true. Again, if any of it's true, um, I would hope he would just resign or not. He can't, you can't be removed from the ballot at this later date, but the voters have that information in that area. And I, you know, if they feel that this is disqualifying, then they should vote for the other candidate. That's, that's all I can, can say without any more information. Um, the same thing on the other side, I think it's in Kansas, but there's a Democrat who's now been accused of mm. 
uh, uh, threatening a school shooting as well as some other things. And um, at this point, you would think that the voters would say no to that candidate. Now, in some of these districts, they're so far to the left or right, people and people aren't paying much attention. They're just going to vote for the D or the R, so you don't know what's going to happen. Right. But I, I can't make um, – I don't want to make decisions about someone's future based on one news editorial, if that makes sense, even though it's right. very disturbing and alarming. There was um, – I don't remember the Nick Sandman case. He was the, the student who had the bag of hat on that confront – there was a confrontation with him and a Native American. And the initial response when I saw that was really negative towards him, and it looked terrible, like he was this agitator – um, and he is, um, that story came out and it wasn't exactly what it looked like. And he is now, um, pursuing lawsuits against all this media that portrayed him as this bad guy and the judges are agreeing with him. So, uh, that was a situation where I kind of had to check myself because I immediately was kind of jumping on the bandwagon about what is this kid doing? You know, he looks like a jerk, um, and come to find out later that they were actually, it was not how it was portrayed mm-hmm. at all. There's different stories on exactly what happened, but if you look into it, he was not being a jerk. And and um, there was some agitation going on, and they were trying to dispel it. But at any rate, it just makes it difficult because a lot of times your gut reaction when you see something, particularly in how it's framed, is uh, and, and I'm like you or other people, I just want to jump on there and tweet or Facebook about it and say, this should be condemned, Republican or Democrat, this should be condemned, they should do this. But I've gotten to be more like, let me wait till I have more information, because mm-hmm. sometimes when you wait, you find out when you, you're, you're an attorney, too. You see that like you hear half the story. And it was the same thing as a state rep. Somebody comes in and wants to lobby you on a bill, whether it's a constituent or a lobbyist. And you're like, yeah, oh, my gosh, goodness. Yes, I'm, I'm totally for it. Then the next person comes in and tells you their story against it. And you're like, oh, my gosh, no, that's terrible, because there are two sides to the story and you need on both and right now with the with that particular case in the kansas city area i don't know what to think it's it's terrible but i don't have any real evidence um with which to make a judgment other than this edit again an editorial That, that that alone was strange why isn't there an author to this story um so i'm waiting on information we've done a little bit um that we could get publicly and that Placed by the candidate, and that's that's all I know. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's true, and he knows if it's true or not, right? If it's actually true, if he did any of those any of those things, then he should step down, in my opinion. Right? Yeah, it was interesting. It was a because I, I mean I would think that some reporters should be looking into that now. But yeah, it came out as an editorial instead of uh, uh, you know some kind of an investigative report or something. But um, right, yeah, it was, was kind of weird that way. Yeah. Some of these others that reported into it, I think if they don't find anything, they just won't report on it because it's not mm-hmm. a story, right? We looked into it and we don't have anything. I mean, nobody that, that's you, your editor's not going to go for that. So unless they find more evidence, I don't think we'll hear that much more about it. And if they do, then we'll, we'll look at it at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I guess you know, now um, I, there's, there's a few candidates, I suppose, who are already on the ballot one way or another, even if they are facing some issues, um, and that's just if they're printed. So it's like that's not much you can do. I mean, the ones, I yeah, think the ones over in Kansas, there's like a write-in candidate and they're begging people to please write this guy's name in. I mean, we'll see how effective that is, but um, I don't know. Yeah. Um, the other question, I mean, if you, do you have, do you have like a few more minutes? Sure. 
Yeah. I, so Tell the other me. question is, it's one that I usually ask earlier on, but we just got to talking. Um, you know, we, we've got a lot of folks who are watching this um, who might be, you know, maybe a little bit younger or for, it's their first time really getting involved in any of this kind of stuff with uh, government or civics or anything like that. What um, what brought you to this point? Like, why are you doing what you're doing now? Um, how did you get here? And, uh, you know, why why is this something that you think other folks should get involved into? Yeah, I think I I mean, I, I was a history major, you know, I've always been interested mm-hmm. in politics and that, and I definitely was more idealistic and liberal as, when I was young. And then, um, as I got older, I actually was a stockbroker for a long time and studied a lot about the economy and how the economy works and how taxes impact that. And that conservative, to be honest, because of looking at tax policies. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, I guess for me, what really happened was during the Obama administration, I felt like a lot of, uh, I felt like the country was going in the wrong direction. And I was like yelling at my TV, you know, and felt like I wanted to get more involved and I didn't know how, and it actually took me a while. I finally, um, I don't even know how I came across it. It might've been on Facebook, this, this organization called the show me series for women in public policy or excellence in public policy or something. And, um, I wanted to do it, but it was like one weekend a month for six months. And I waited to do that until my daughter was in college and I had more time. I'm a single mom. So there's like limited amounts of time. And, um, I started doing that. And from that got a lot more engaged, um, and met people and found out more about what I could do. And then was actually asked to run for office. Um, interestingly enough, Eric Schmidt is the person who kind of talked me into running for office. Um, and whom I still consider a good friend at this time. And he had just seen me at events. You know, we'd had a couple of conversations. And then one evening there was another event. I was sitting and talking to his wife and George Ann Hancock, whose husband's very involved in politics. And I didn't even know like the relationships. And then Eric Schmidt sat down with Tom Dempsey. And before you know it, they had, they had almost completely talked me into it. Cause I was sort of reluctant. And I think like a lot of people thought, it's just crazy and divisive. And that was four years ago. So I wasn't sure I wanted to, to do it. Um, but I've done talks with, with women and with other groups about how to get more engaged. Even if you don't want to run for office, like, um, write a, you know, find out who your legislators are, email them, see if you can get a meeting with them and talk to them about things that are important to you, regardless of what party, you know, if you're a Democrat and they're a Republican, still meet with them and talk to them about issues. You can go to the Capitol and, and talk to your legislators. I mean, right now you want to call them because right. obviously with COVID, yeah. but, um, you can lobby for things that are important to you, if it's a charity or if it's for your business, you know, a business, say if, say if you're an accountant and you want to lobby for accountant, accountants or if you want to lobby for the National Diabetes Association and there's a bill, you can go down there and talk to your legislators or you can call them, but meet them and get to know them and um, let them know things that are important to you and afraid to, to send them a note about something that's important to you because they do, we do read those, we track all those, um, and it's important to hear from constituents. I know for me, knocking doors in a swing district, I found out very quickly from talking to so many people what the district was like. And in fact, I was not surprised. I mean, I knew that the district was becoming more and more Democrat. Um, and then so in 2018, Claire McCaskill won my district by a sizable margin. I still won my election, but I could, I could see where things were going because I was out talking to people, but find out, you know, I knock on doors with people who are unions and they would say, I don't, you know, you were in support of right to work and I don't like that. Mm-hmm. And have that conversation, you know, don't be afraid to tell them, Hey, I'm not voting. You know, 
I don't appreciate the fact that you support this and I don't. I mean, I needed to hear that from my constituents, even if I disagreed with them, because eventually if enough of them are telling me that, I, I might change my my votes, right? I may not change my view, but I may change my votes because it's a representative government. So get 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 more involved, get to know folks. Even if you go to a fundraiser and you say, well, I don't have any money, you can still show up at a fundraiser and, and meet your candidates and talk to them. Um, and find out what they're about. And then, you know, if you have any interest at all at running, talk to them, see what it was like for them, find out, you know, interesting things about your district, who your committee people are and how, how certain people got elected, because that will tell you a lot about your opportunities. And don't assume that if you're in a blue area or a red area, that that it's out of the question because things are changing are always changing. And even if it's not the year for you, like this wasn't the year for you, but that doesn't mean, I'm talking about you personally, but that doesn't mean you don't have a future in politics, right? It was a great experience. You learned a lot, I'm assuming, and you're a better person because of it. And that, you know, you're obviously very bright. So there are other opportunities that can continue to open up for you. So don't be afraid to put your, you know, I mean, I think you would say this too. Don't be afraid to, you know, stick your neck out and go for something you believe in and let people get to know you. You're being very vulnerable when you run for office. Yeah. Um, don't be afraid to do that, but Find out ahead of time what the time commitments are because it's way more than you ever dreamed it was going to be. Statewide, especially, and you got to be prepared for that, and you got to prepare your family. Yeah, you know, like, I, are you single? No, I'm married. You're married. I got so, married during the campaign, so that was okay. fun. Yeah. You're crazy then, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, well, for my, you got to yeah. prepare your family. Um, <laughs> talk to people's families who've run for office to prepare them because it is it, it it's it's very taxing and you're going to be open to a lot of criticism. And sometimes it's, it's harder for my family to hear somebody criticize me than it is for me. And I'm probably the same for you. So prepare them for that, but don't, don't be dissuaded. If you have an interest or a yearning for this, talk to folks, you know, and if you're a Democrat, talk to Democrat leaders, Republican, if you're not sure, talk to both. Mm -hmm. Um, But we need more people who come from, business backgrounds, community backgrounds. And I think the public is, is interested in those candidates who are more like them and don't have a history of politics. I mean, there's good and bad in that. We want more people who are just like us, you know, like I was, I mean, I was knocking doors in my neighborhood saying, I'm your neighbor. I've lived here for 20 years. Mm -hmm. What's important to you? They want people like that, that they know that they can say, well, I don't like everything, but I know she believes in this. And and she talked to me about that. Those are the kind of things that I think, more people want to relate to that, you know, run for mayor. I mean, it's nonpartisan, you know, but get involved in your community and don't feel like you don't have a voice. If you want to protest, protest, but if you really want to have an impact, run for office, that's the way to do it. I think it's a good way to close it out. This is good. No, I think getting involved is very important. And, uh, you know, we both known a lot of folks who have been involved uh, one way or another, maybe it was protesting, maybe it was organizing, and then they ran, right? And and right. They brought that perspective with them, and they were able to then Bruce do Frank, more. Right, yeah. 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 Um, Bruce Rasheen, yeah. Yeah, Rasheen, yeah, he's a, he's a crack up. Yeah, I mean, and, like, I, I think that once you win office, I mean, I think, like, protesting, you maybe, I mean, you you're, to me, protesters are for people who feel like they don't have a voice. So if you're an elected official, you should be exercising it there. And I'm kind of confused sometimes when folks who were originally protesters continue. I, I don't get that. I'll just be honest. Like, I don't get that. I'm like, you have a voice now. You can impact policy. So do it. And, um, I, you know, 
But if they feel like they still feel like that's part of who they are, then, you know, more power to them. I did. It's just confusing to me because I, you have power as an elected. I don't have the power that an elected official has. I just yeah. don't. I'm a staff member. But as an elected official, you can really make things happen. And it, don't tell me you're in the minority because Jamila Nasheed's been in the minority for eight years and she has gotten a ton of legislation passed. But the other thing you can do is you can hold bureaucrats accountable. So Democrats and Republican elected officials can call somebody in the uh, AG's office. Mm -hmm. They can send a letter to somebody in DHS. They can get things done for their constituents. They can question why things aren't happening and they can get things moving. And that's one of the most important things you can do is it's not just in helping your constituents because that's the number one thing, but when agencies aren't doing or behaving like they should, you can hold them accountable as an elected. And that's a really important thing. Um, and they, they listen. They certainly do listen to elected officials. So um, that's something that, and I think sometimes newly elected officials don't realize that, the power that they do have. It's not necessarily in proposing bills, but it's in, in holding others accountable and, and being an example and then helping your constituents who they have are having some sort of an issue to advocate for them because they feel powerless now and you're in a position to help them. So darn it, you got to do it. That's just yeah. the way it is. Yeah, yeah, it's an... Uh, you can do a whole lot and uh, yeah. we, need you, we need you to accountability is an extremely important piece. And, you know, obviously you don't have all of the cards, you don't have all of the power in the world. And there's some of these systems you look at and how broken they are. So, you know, I can, I definitely uh, sympathize with that. Um, but yeah, there's a whole lot you can do and you can cause a whole lot of trouble there when you start looking in the sidelines. There's a lot <laughs> of trouble to find, unfortunately. Yeah. So yeah, um, but you can do yeah. good trouble too. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Well, this was great. I'm going to have to have you come back on because we can talk apparently forever. This is wonderful. Um, but no, I, well, I thanks think, for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I really appreciate you coming on because, you know, I know that the, uh, we talked a bit about it, but there is so much, you know, partisanship right now. And I think that this is really good. I think we need to have more conversations like this, honestly. And mm-hmm. it's something that uh, I really appreciate being able to do and still do all over the state. Um, but I think we need more of this. Um, and, uh, this is, this is good. So hopefully we'll have you back on next time with your dog though. That's a promise you already made. Oh yeah, for sure. All right. Thank you. Have a great great weekend. Yeah, you too. Now this was great. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Alad pod. You can participate in future town halls and see all of our past ones at aladgross.live. You can reach me there too. And I'd love to hear your ideas. For now, this is Alad Gross, and I'll see you on the next Alad Pod.